welcome to episode 6 of the BoxBox podcast. Today, I hand over the reins to James, who, having written the script, will lead this tribute episode of F1's greatest driver, Ayrton Senna, who sadly passed away during the Imola Grand Prix. It was the 1st of May, 1994. That was the date of the 1994 San Marino Grand Prix. So when Michael Schumacher had come off two wins previously, in his third race of the season, extending his championship lead further. The monumental 23-point gap to his closest rival at this point, David Hill, the Williams. Williams was not the, first, was not the driver expected to be 23 points behind, not even expected to be in second place in the championship. His teammate was whom everyone thought would be challenging Schumacher for first place, despite Schumacher's undisputed talent. Podium celebrations began, the German nationality and nationality proudly being echoed across the track, which was strewn with a sea of red clothed folks enthusiastically waving their flags at the home manufacturing corral. And yet, despite having commandingly led the Grand Prix from second on the grid, Schumacher's face, and indeed the face of all the other drivers on the podium, did not reflect the same joy and elation that a viewer just tuning in might expect. There was no champagne on the podium a tradition that started with Dan Gurney in 1967 and continued to this day. But on May the 1st, this tradition was foregone after a single had just concussed the whole F1 paddock. At 6.40pm, the whole motor racing world was informed of the news that they already knew, but desperately did not want to believe. Ayrton Senna, 34 years old, a 41 Grand Grand Prix winner, a groundbreaking 65-time pole position starter and devoted Brazilian hero who had devoted millions to help his country would never race again due to severe brain damage after he speared into the wall at Tamburello at 132 miles per hour. The whole day from work and all the tracks events that happened on that fateful weekend especially sitting not yet fully recovered from the death of Roland Bat Bratzevic since I qualified just the day before. It was the first death since LAD Anderson in 1986. After crashing at Tosa at speeds around 200 miles per hour, Rattenberg was taken to the hospital until 2.07pm, with his death being confirmed eight minutes later. Indeed, no one had truly recovered from this, even those who barely knew him. And yet, who was impacted the most? Who felt his death? That person was Edson Senna, who after seeing the accident declared that he was leaving the Grand Prix, before going to the Williams garage for further talk. Thankfully, Ayrton decided to race on. And despite Ratzenberger's death of a mere couple of minutes earlier, Senna clocked in a time of 121.5. A whole three times is worth for Schumacher. And so on April 30th, Senna earned the right to start the pole position for the last time. But just before the race, there was a well-documented story between Senna and his good friend Sid Watkins, the chief medic who saved the life of Martin Donnelly just a few days earlier, was Rubens Barrichello a couple of days ago, but would eventually be too late to do anything for Senna. Watkins documented to a bed for Senna to reconsider racing and retire with him, saying that Senna had nothing left of him. He was a three-time world champion, Rubens would be the best in the world. The only thing that he could do was beat it again. Senna raced it anyway. As the red lights faded to green, old grid fired the sympathy of monstrous V10s and V12s. Senna racing away, Turquoise bent on the Schumacher in close pursuit. Nobody could have anticipated that the mere seven racing maps, a whole community and a whole nation could 
But Senna was not just a fantastic driver, he was a fantastic person. In 1992, during qualifying for the Belgian Grand Prix, Eric Comas crashed and immediately fell unconscious. If it had not been for Senna's quick thinking to turn his rival's engine off and prevent an explosion, Eric would have been killed. When Senna crashed, Comas passed him and knew he was powerless to repay the favour. In an interview, Comas said that a kind of paranoia fell upon him when he witnessed the accident. He also mentioned that it felt horrible that he could not do anything to help Senna, adding, I was in the middle of the track, a few feet away from the drama. It felt like an atomic bomb just exploded at Tamborello. There truly was a heavy atmosphere hanging over the area, and without knowing any details, I knew it was very bad. He saved my life, and I came too late. And I'm not a doctor, in any case. He was in the worse shape than I was. His accident was different to mine. But to find me inside feeling so powerless was such a horrible experience that after ten years I have only recently been able to talk about it. As well as this, Comas also believes that the governing body should have stopped the race, saying that celebrations at the end of the race were scandalous and unacceptable. This led to his retirement that season. Now it's been 28 years since this day. This time there have been podcasts, books, videos who rightfully documents the Senna's life. Just because of the impact that Senna had in sport as well, it's an almost unchallenged state. So, you know, to those who want a real in-depth insight to what this man accomplished, I urge you to watch the full documentary of Senna. It's a, it's a truly unflinching account of his life. Access to sources and footage that we can only dream of. If you want to know who Senna, not just the racing driver was, but as a person, I think you'll check it out. And after watching it, you realise what so many current F1 drivers idolise them to the degree that they do. You know, many, many drivers such as Lewis Hamilton, Alonso, Coltard, and uh, even Michael Schumacher, like, freely declaring that Senna was uh, the greatest of all time, despite his brief fight of him for the 94 Championship. And Senna's achievements were not measured in statistics, although, like, three titles, 65 competitions, 41 wins, eight podiums, there is nothing to sniff at. I mean, compared to the likes of Hamilton, Schumacher, and Vettel, these statistics made it less impressive in comparison, but pure statistics were not why Simmons' brilliance was represented. You had to watch brilliance. You had to see why he had his reputation. And hopefully, um, we collectively um, will help to explain. Edson Senna de Silva was born on the 21st of March 1960 in the Santana region of Sao Paulo. He was the middle child, born into a wealthy family, with his father being a landowner, owner and factory worker, engrossing a respectable income. And when Ayrton's true passion, racing, was realised, his family was certainly able to support and finance it. Senna was reportedly a highly athletic boy, excelling at multiple sports such as gymnastics, before reg registering an interest in motor racing at four. This eventually led him to, led him to receive a car at just the age of four years old in a tiny go-kart that his dad built for him, complete with a small lo small lawnmower engine. And through this, Senna would begin to hone his skills as a driver, practicing for hours, and whilst he did not complete in an actual race until the age of nine, this early start would prove to be an early advantage that would only grow over time. Karting at four years old was incredibly young then, and it still is today with seven world champion Lewis, Lewis Hamilton starting at the age of eight years, a full four years older than Senna when he started karting, and his main rival, Alan Prost, only starting to race at 14 years old 
which is which by comparison is when Max Verstappen was winning the WSK Championship, the senior level of karting, having started at four as well. And in the era that Senna grew up, the 60s, most drivers had not even raced as a child, with Graham Hill only starting racing when he was 25, which nowadays would be deemed as too late, with Jim Clark, renowned for being young in that era, starting out racing sports cars when he was 20. F1 decided to change to a true professional sport, in my opinion, and James's opinion, with Nicky Lauda and his approach to racing, and the way that he completely devoted himself to setting up the car, with the success that followed, more started to take a professional approach to racing in their lives. As F1 developed on from that point, the age that a racing driver have, start, have started have decreased to the point that it's almost mandatory to start at the age of 5-10 years of age. In this way, Senna was ahead of the curve. Indeed, when the time came for his first race, a local neighbourhood race in Sao Paulo, he racked up his first pole position, though drawing, escaping to the lead before being taken out in the last three laps. This early success, early glimpse of the speed and the glory that would soon follow, and spurred on by this, Wilson would once again buy in his first proper cars, a 50 kilogram race car that was previously owned by Emerson Fittipaldi, the Brazilian two-time F1 world champion. This would be used to significant effects as in his first official race, he racked up his first win, where he used nine years of go-karting experience to win his first race in, at the Interlagos Gogol. Go kart track, a circuit where he'd win twice. The go karting track eventually being renamed Cartodromo et al. They go on to win several national championships across Brazil and South America, with an eventual total of six championships. We took the plunge, decided to travel to Europe to compete in the go kart world championship. They've been there competing five times, they never win, despite certainly having speed to do so. Being run out twice in two Dutch Peter Cohen and Peter de Bruyne narrowly missing out on speaking them overall. When Senna was later asked about who he thought was his greatest rival in his career, his answer shocked many. He did not choose anyone from Formula 1, where in his era, you know, filled to the brim with talent, drivers such as like Nigel Mansell, Catherine Rosberg, PK, and also the arch nemesis, Alan Cross, as well as Schumacher, at the very end of his career. With Senna eventually choosing his old party team, Terry Fulton. In his own words, I'll have to go back to 78, 79, 1980, when I drove go-karts. I had a teammate, him. his name was Hunt. His love of experience and a love of racing instinct. So fast and consistent. And he was a well-rounded driver. There was racing, pure racing. There was no politics, no money involved. I fond memories at that time. Beginning of 1980, by this age, 20 years old, and winning races for over seven years, Senna received an invitation from Van Dyke, a successful junior Formula outfit, to race in Formula 4 for that season. However, his parents objected to this, and Senna would race one more year in the World Championship, eventually securing second. Whilst it would not be his last attempt to secure the Carlton World Championship, in the closest he ever got, with Van Dyke thinking it was the time to step up to single seaters, Senna was too tempted. Overall, Senna was extremely successful in karting, managing to establish himself in the scenes of proven, dedicated racing. It wouldn't be long before he took the next step up to single seaters. Following his successful karting career, Senna would step up three Formula Ford 1600 seasons in Britain after finally accepting the request from Ralph Furman, boss of Van Diemen, who had 
sent the invitation in 1980. One year later, Senna had decided to move from his home in Sao Paulo to Britain to compete in what was effectively the shop window of racing, with success in this category acting as a launch pad to higher classes. This series was Senna's first single-seater experience, with the cars being heavier and less agile, with no front wings, and yet this did not distract the extra injection of power that these cars had over the car Senna had become so accustomed to. Indeed, Senna was in a highly coveted position already, with Ralph Furman already launching over, or launching other South Americans such as Carlos Pace, Raul Bosel and Robert Moreno into Formula 1, with other notable successes later being Eddie Irvine and Mark Webber, as well as Dan Weldon, who would go on to forge a successful career in IndyCar. Van Diemen was also highly competitive with Moreno and Boasel, obliterating the field in 1980, finishing the first and second in the championship, and winning a total of 13 races out of 14 rounds. And despite Senna's car being two years old, being a year old, with the new one not being ready in time for the start of the season, Pressure was on for Senna to perform. On race day, Senna came home on his debut to finish fifth behind his two South American teammates who finished first and fourth in front of Senna, both of whom had been in Formula Ford for a year already. Not to be overshadowed by his teammates' achievements, and the next race in Thruxton, flat in the outdated Van Diemen, Senna snatched his first podium for the Van Diemen outfit with, his, with a third place finish, a definite improvement over the first race as well as a sign that showed that, showed that Senna was beginning to get comfortable in his Van Diemen position. And things would only get better as Van Diemen finally delivered on its new car for the season, the Van Diemen RF81, which was deb debuted at the second bronze hatch event on the calendar. And only two weeks after he made his debut in Formula 4, Senna climbed on over the top, onto the top step of the podium in his new car after overwhelming his teammates in two heats. This event also displayed another skill that Senna possessed, confidence, and therefore speed in wet weather conditions, with many of his greatest drives being in the rain, such as Donington Park 1993 and Adelaide 1991. This was one of the first displays of brilliance from Senna in the wet, eventually using his pace to open a nine second gap to the closest car following. After that, Senna became three straight second places in two races in Nunnery Park, and won at Snetterton, for winning five of the next six races, with his podium hot streak of 11 ends of the Brands Hatch. But that was hardly a disaster, on a slight blip, finishing fourth. The slight drop in results made Senna get back on the throttle. Six straight wins at Alder Park, Mallory Park, Brands Hatch, Snetterton, Donington Park, Thruxton, rounding out the season with second place at Brands Hatch, and an almost inevitable title victory in two of the three championships that he entered. Massive total of 218 points, 12 wins, 12 podiums, and 3 poles. But when asked what he was going to do next in 1982, with many sure that he was going to progress up to F3, or at the very least F2000, F Senna surprised everyone on the podium after Brian Johnson, um, the voice of Brands Hatch, inquired about his future. Both the man himself, Finish with racing. I'm sorry, I'm going back to Brazil. Truth be told, Senna was disappointed with the impact he had made in his country, especially since 1981 was Nelson Piquet's first title win, first Brazilian that had won for seven years, coupled with the successes of compatriots Robert Moreno and Raul Bosa in F3, category despite being a junior formula, still rung above the ladder of Formula Ford. 
And these combined resilience successes stole the spotlight from Senna's masterclass, led him to boldly declaring that he was going home to work in his father's business. After a few months, Senna was left contemplating his future, facing where he was going to take his career. Would he stay back with his father and rest upon his junior success? Would he use those successes to carve out an even greater career in motor racing in 1986? That year, Senna made his decision. After pondering what he was going to be doing with his life, in the winter of Sao Paulo, Senna would make his decision that would change the face of Formula One for decades to come. He decided that he would return to racing, and he would completely annihilate the opposition. And whilst he certainly had some incredible seasons in F1, where he convincingly whitewashed his opposition, his most successful season was indeed the 1982 Formula Ford 2000, a category a step higher in the ladder than he'd faced before, with proper front and rear wings making it look like the baby Formula car that it was. But this was still a serious piece of kit, more powerful than anything he had faced before. This was the car that should be treated with utmost respect. More particularly demanding, being over four seconds a lap quicker than last year, Senna decided he'd have to play the game seriously as well. Not only pairing himself with Dennis Russian, moderately successful team owner, whom Senna contacted in his championship winning season last year, he also decided to bring in some of the, of the first three sponsors, including both Banchero and Paul. Both Brazilian businesses under his team. Senna also managed to contact Ralph Thurman for a Van Diemen car, which would take him to glory just the year, just like the year before. Senna would be competing in two championships, the English and the European Championships. And lastly, the most major change was that concerning his identity. After being told that his surname, which he was, um, which he was still using by this point, was Silver. Silver, which is mentioned, which is still known. Smith in English, coupled with De Silva being an immensely popular name in Brazil, Ayrton started to use his mother's name, Senna, a name that everyone in the motorsport eventually comes to know, respect, and fear. His Formula Ford F2000 season started off with the first five rounds of the English Championship, with the first race being Brands Hatch, the same track where he started off in single seaters the year before. Apart from the track, it was much different to last time. He more experienced with these machines, the cars were faster, and he certainly did not hold the understudy position that, was expect that he was expected to have going into last season, where he eventually proved them wrong. And whilst his first six races of last season were beyond respectable, with one win and several second places, Senna's start to the season was absolute perfection. Grand Slam in Formula 1 is a term that describes the drivers as winning from pole position, leading every lap, as well as the fastest lap. In most sport, this is incredibly rare, and in, an F1, and in F1, only 26 drivers have ever, ever achieved this feat, with only 64 Grand Slams in total out of the hundreds of drivers who have completed the thousands of races. And whilst this is not Formula 1, Senna, Senna's six straight Grand Slams was simply incredible, with wins at Brands Hutch, Alton Park, Silverstone, Donington and Snetterton. Senna also managed to win two races in two consecutive days, with Alton Park and Silverstone being 200 kilometres apart from one another, with Senna being unfazed and purely delivering the win. And so, Senna kicked off his season to start the British Championship flawlessly, with his rivals far behind. But his European season would not start in this fashion at all, with a retirement at Zolder in Belgium, giving his rivals a head start, although he would catch up to them once more with a win at Donington Park. 
Back in the British Championship, Senna continued to be a class above the rest, as displayed at Silverstone, where in 15 laps he pulled out a 17-second gap to the second-place man, pulling out an advantage of 1.1 seconds per lap. Eventually, Senna was completely untouchable in the British Championship, with 84% in win rates, 16 wins out of a possible 19, coming second in two races and retiring just one. Well, Mark Senna easily saw it the floor of the British Championship, the European Championship was not going so well. Senna unable to put up his victory in Donington. Another disappointing retirement in Belgium, followed up by an incident in Germany. Senna was left training in the points for five races left to go. Senna would have to work hard. And after Germany, Senna put the hammer down, achieving five straight victories, clinching the European title, once again cementing his talent, with his closest rival, Calvin Fish, training in second. Unable to truly mount the consistent threat to Senna that year. But on the occasion Senna Fish did, did have this to say to Christopher Hilton, an avid writer to document Senna's life. In 1982, when you were challenging him, when I say challenging, I mean wheel to wheel, overtaking, leading him, as though he shouldn't be in that position. Personally, felt that he was head and shoulders above everyone else. Simply, he should not be in that situation. It felt as if he was in a different need to everyone else. When it came to you been today, did not know how to handle it. They'll put you off the track, crash trying to overtake you. It's very strange. Never got to that point, I was panicked. You go completely to the end of degree to get it back. This would go on to be highlights for Senna through moments in his career, his rivals in football, and his overwhelming desire to win, sometimes running down to all or nothing moments that results in contact. Whilst he would be tested many times by the likes of Mansell, Schumacher, and Cross. The world would not wait long for Senna to prove this quite true. His first proper rival he would face would be the late would be the year later. Another talent looking to bust his way into Formula One by the name of Martin Brundle. While Senna frequently ranks as Formula One's greatest driver, and Sterling Moss undoubtedly winning accolade for the greatest driver never to win a title, Martin Brundle unfortunately holds the crown to the best driver never to win a Grand Prix event. Not to say he did not come close on numerous occasions, with a string of pudding finishes, along with two second-place finishes at Monza and Monaco, being the two examples of the talent Brundle had. And with other successes outside of Formula 1, such as sports car racing with Jaguar, gifting him a victory at Le Mans. In Formula 1, though, things never went his way, either ending up with teams that had entered a slump, or prioritising other star drivers, with Brundle having the misfortune of being teammate to Michael Schumacher at Benetton. Along with being incredibly unlucky with some of his career choices, Brundle was also never quite given the credit he deserved. While Senna himself will regard his greatest rival as being his old karting teammate Terry Fullerton, and other pundits and F1 historians labelling the likes of Prost and Mansell as his greatest competitors, one frequent challenger to Senna was Brundle. In a classic season of Formula 3, it would start with Senna dominating and ending up with a two-way title fight at the last race, last race, with Senna eventually confiding to Brundle that he was the best British driver since Jim Clark. By the end of 1982, Senna was beginning to, to achieve what he'd been aiming for a long time. He was getting noticed. Of course, that was hardly surprising, considering that Senna's campaign in Formula 4 in 2000 was the most dominant season in Formula 4's history. But Senna was beginning to get noticed by other manufacturers. One particular manufacturer approached him eventually become synonymous with the legend of Essen Senna. The team they had tapped into his glory three times in McLaren's dominant 80s and early 19 seasons. McLaren. 
Parallel to what would happen with Lewis Hamilton a few decades later, Senna would be approached by McLaren that offered the outfit supporting, supervising Senna's Formula 3 campaign financial backing. Unlike Hamilton, however, Senna declined. There's several reasons. Firstly, seen with Hamilton later, contract with our Senna to completely commit to the McLaren racing outfit. With Senna and his family having little choice in what McLaren would have wanted from Senna in terms of what category they'd have liked him to enter. The move team himself to McLaren would also have given Senna a McLaren contract as well. But unlike Hamilton, who would enter McLaren confident of having a competitive car, Senna had less to go on. McLaren being a disappointing start to the 80s, with only a glimmer of hope in the tag Porsche engine that they were developing. So the Formula 1 paddock, then in the future, was with outfits such as Moreno, Brabham, and Williams. Also, Senna was not in need of financial backing anyway. Senna had the family backing, and even if that and Senna's success failed to secure a competitive seat in F3, the injection from Brazilian sponsors would. This proved to be true. Senna coming to an agreement with Dick Bennett, an F3 owner he had built up to a respectable reputation of leading outfit, outfits in the sport, having guided Stefan Johansson and Jonathan Barner, two F1 drivers to glory in 1980 and 1981. Another two previous drivers, Senna's goal after hopefully winning F3 was indeed seeds from one. Likewise, Martin Brundle, who had settled into the Irish owned Eddie Jordan Racing, an eccentric Irishman who had later find his own F1 team under his, under his own name and guide it to four race victories. And if you look back in Aston Martin's ancestry, the origins of the team we know today, Jordan was the inception. Brundle had been in this category for over a year then, but was ruthlessly kicked out of his original outfit after a pressure formed, after pressure formed by a sponsor. And like Senna, his goals were not just to win the category, he wanted to step up to the F1 stage as well. And unlike many of his F3 drivers, he did not fear Senna's growing reputation despite being aware of Senna's capabilities and previous results. Brundle was not over, overly concerned at the threat Senna would pose. However, Brundle would soon start to realise exactly what Senna could achieve with the right car. And this first, first shot wave would come at the first race at Silverstone. Whilst Paul would go to fellow compatriot David Leslie, Brundle would experience first-hand first Senna's raw speed at the wheel, with Senna eventually dominating and drawing first blood with a victory. This was not beginner's luck, like so many others had hoped, with Senna getting pole position in the next eight races and promptly winning all of them in a nine-straight winning streak, Brundle often, often coming up second less. It was a completely perfect start to the campaign, with Brundle even admitting that Senna's immaculate first half of the season broke him. Senna's streak of wins annihilated the previous record of seven that was achieved by fellow Brazilian and F1 champion Nelson Piquet, and it looked as though it was going to continue. The reason the streak of nine race wins was not ten would be because of the backlash that followed from Brundle. At this point in the season, Senna was so far ahead in points, it opted to compete in the European Championship, the Silverstone race, where runners were required to have the soft tyres. Brundle was quickest out of all the British runners, and he couldn't see the points in competing in the British category, so he decided to take the risk and compete in the European Championship alongside Senna for that race. This was the time for Brundle to take race. He had to claw back some points after Senna's early season whitewash, and Brundle's fight back to start off the pole in Silverstone. The first time that Senna had been beaten by, Bundle, uh, beaten by Brundle, in qualifying and in the race. During the race, Brundle's reignited determination and speed led to Senna crashing out of the coach game in a bid to keep up the unstoppable 
runs on. Seven races have been immense, physically and mentally battered by Senna. Runs will gain the psychological edge going into the second half of the season. After a perfect weekend, Paul win the retirement for his rival. Rundle will need to keep her shape. He gains on Senna in points. And whilst Cadwell Park looked like a return to form for Senna, Senna once again beating Rundle in qualifying after a tight fight for Paul, was Rundle took, took a flag after clocking in the fastest lap of the race. But Senna did not even start the race. It's going too far in qualifying and wrecking his car. Celeste Tillman once again proved to be Brundle's stamping ground, beating Senna in qualifying and saving the goal, and eventually the win with Senna once again collecting another retirement after colliding with Brundle. Senna spun out after a risky overtaking manoeuvre that Brundle blocked off, with Senna spearing off into the barriers whilst Brundle recovered, with both blaming each other and Senna demanding a review of the incident, but it would come to no avail for Senna. After three weeks of humiliation by Brundle, as well as a significantly reduced championship lead, Senna started to fight back, and this opportunity would arrive at the next race in Silverstone, with Senna recapturing some of the early season brilliance by taking pole, the fastest lap over Brundle, came second. Senna had extended his championship lead at the point where it counted the most, bringing an end to Brundle's streak of wins, with Brundle coming home second. This result would be reversed at the next race in Donington, however, Brundle leading Senna home to a win. But the defining point of the season would come at the next race in Osborne. Senna's role to go to suspension failed, spearing him to the barrier and destroying the car. Scoffing up the cash to fix the car, the weekend would end up with Senna crashing it once more after a collision with Brundle. After securing Cole, Senna got jumped by Martin Brundle at the start of the race. Brundle and Senna pulling out a huge gap to the other drivers before Senna started to go for an all or nothing after getting a good run at Brundle while out of the last corner. Even the best serrated that Senna got moved from Stunner on. Brundle firmly closing the door to Senna. Senna was giving Brundle a choice. A choice that Senna would give to many other drivers in his career. Senna gave Brundle the choice. That's by positioning his car. Brundle would choose whether to crash at Senna or let him through and be psychologically destroyed. Brundle chose Senna's hard way. As a consequence, Senna's route slanted to the side of Brundle, pitching Brundle in a spin before Senna's rear side glided in front, catapulting Senna's car onto the roll home Brundle's, along with one of Senna's car tyres just grazing Brundle's helmet. An event not unlike Max Stappen and Lewis Hamilton's events at Monza, at Monza last year. Brundle disgustingly proclaimed, it should be my race. Instead, well, I've got to show his tyre marks for Senna's car down the helmet. Senna had given Brundle a tyre Brundle's job had gone hard, with Senna reducing the number of races in the sun that Brundle had left to catch up. And Senna would make his job harder, even harder, at the next race in Silverstone, securing pole and eventually the win in a wet race after being pipped at the start by Brundle, before overtaking him outside, around the outside at Stowe in wet weather conditions, which Brundle later alluded to in the Top Gear Senna tribute, saying that Senna had a God-given talent that he hadn't seen anywhere else, a sixth sense where the grip was before he turned into the corner. Perhaps this was the skill that led Senna to gaining an invulnerability invul invul in the rain in the later races to come. However, the next few races would prove to be a disaster for Senna retiring in two and coming second in one, with Brundle capitalising on Senna's misfortune by winning all three, giving Brundle a one-point lead going into the final round at Thruxton. As a result of this incredible title fight, both Senna's and Brundle's families turned up 
for the title race. Both that you can see which one would come out on top after a hammer and Tom's battle. Race weekend swinging back and forth like a pendulum between the two. We go into the final round, it was advantage Prandall, albeit by one point. Near Senna was looking to be the favourite going into the weekend. His role being given new upgrades was seen ideal for Fraxton. After qualifying, Senna put those upgrades to good use, snatching Paul away from Prandall. When it came to the start, Senna struck like lightning, a perfect start whilst Prandall slotted in behind the American Dave Jones. However, Senna had left no chances for the last race. After being frequently best at the start of Brundle on numerous occasions, Senna decided to use his own ingenuity to gain an advantage. I put tape on the oil radiators, or his car, he up greatly. At the time of the start, temperature was at the optimum uh, temperature in just a few laps, giving Senna a perfect start. However, Senna then needed to take the tape off, so oil would have heated up too much, giving Senna a retirement that he could not afford. This led to Senna taking off his seat buttons and take off the tape. And whilst it looked precarious with Senna having a wobbly moment, worked, and Senna roared home to the F3 title, Brundle in third place after a seasonal fight. Both were an amazing fight throughout that year, and both proved themselves to be worthy of an F1 stardom. So, just as well that both would take the leap up to F1 in 1994. Stay tuned for part two, Senna in F1.